Today we have come to Oakley Hall Hotel. Uh, we are standing in a car park and it is full of rather exciting cars to drive. Uh, yes, it's uh, thank you again to the SMMT for an invitation to one of their driving days. It's open to invited motoring, motorsport journalists. And the uh, car manufacturers have all brought along loads of cars for us to play with. You can hear some of them, I think, just being moved into place with shortly to start the day one of the few diesel engined cars on the list (laughs) indeed it is quite a long list uh there's a lot of cars to play with it certainly looks like from the uh an initial look at the list awful lot of electric cars that would hardly be a surprise the way the industry is going but uh we're going to go out and have a play with some things and just get a feel of, of where the marketplace is at now and I think uh, we've spotted the transit, an electric transit van. That sounds like uh, possibly a good place to start. Well, I guess this is the uh, future for White Van Man because uh, we're in the uh, all-new electric transit. This is one of the larger ones. I think this is about three and a half tonne, I think. It's certainly a slightly higher top and it's uh, certainly a longer wheelbase than the standard transit we're used to seeing. But it's all electric. And because it's all electric, it's all automatic, which is something that I think a lot of its uh, customers are going to need to get used to. They've been used to uh, winding it around to get the gear they wanted. Good spread of gears, I notice, because uh, it's it's also got a very easily accessible low gear, which, um, you know, if you're loading one of these, reversing it into a bay or some such thing, you know, it's uh, very useful to have a sort of crawler gear, which I, I guess that is. Big display on the uh, dashboard it is obligatory big screen yeah it is uh, something they've all got these days this is very large but does it feel like it uh, no it doesn't actually it's 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 pretty easy drive i mean okay i'm slightly cranky maybe about these things i quite like driving large vehicles perhaps i missed a calling as a van driver um that's why you have a volvo uh, perhaps so um, it could carry almost as much as this, I suspect. Um, interesting uh, on the dashboard itself, um, speedometer obviously, you've got uh, a power, effectively a fuel gauge, and then you've got what is a rev counter essentially. It shows you how quickly you're, you're using the electrical power you've got, the electrical energy you've got. I'm guessing this is something that you would probably, if you were buying this for a fleet, you would know the distances that your vehicles typically travelled. You would know where you could charge them. You'd have your own facilities for doing just that. Uh, perhaps if this were something you were buying and you had uh, nowhere to charge it, then you know you, you would look slightly more askance at it and the cost would be rather different. But pretty much anybody that buys this, I guess, is... Uh, is going to have formulated appropriate plans uh, as to their charging and their running costs because uh, uh, if you have the right charging facilities those running costs will be quite reasonable. Perhaps not at time of recording. <laughs> well perhaps not. <laughs> Certainly uh, it's, it's a load logger. Uh, we were just talking to the guys that were prepping it. Um, it has got the usual side door which can have um, side doors both sides which is quite useful if you normally load by uh, you know pallets by a forklift truck um, then you know it's very useful to have access at the rear and at both sides it's in that sense it's a very practical vehicle but then you know the transit has been the market leader for such a long time if they haven't got it figured out by now uh, how to um, construct a vehicle that suits their customers needs then um, they shouldn't be in the business and talking of customer needs, uh, inside here I see cup holders, which is always a bonus, and again compulsory for a van. Not sure I've got one sitting in the middle seat here. There, there are three seats across. Uh, I can't say it's loads of room for any of us, but uh, does the job presumably for relatively short journeys. Yeah, it's it's uh, not quite a crew vehicle, which would have slightly more generous seating, but you know, as a standard van, it's very often one guy or two guys, um, and it, it is usually guys. But it's got. You know, Helena does not like that. There's a there's a face. <laughs> it's got all the sort of mod mod cons of a of a modern vehicle. I think it's a bit of a chameleon this van because 
I mean, there's three of us in here, three adults. And two of us are quite tall. Well, that's it. <laughs> a family with one child, it means that the whole of you can sit in the front. But, you know, you could. it's great if you're a catering company, you know, you can fill it up with the food. If you want to go camping, you could get the tent and all the paraphernalia and bikes on the back. And it almost feels, I'm not driving it at the minute, that you could drive it like a car. So I think women would be comfortable. <laughs> so you're allowed to say that, are you? <laughs> I tell you what, the, it, if, given the size of it and the space available in it, it won't be long before these start turning up as motor caravans. Because a lot of motor caravans don't go that far. The journey hops on holidays and so on. Uh, and this is you know, it's the perfect size and it's an easy drive. I'm now gradually getting used to the uh, touch screen controls for doing simple things like demisting. Uh, I suspect that uh, this, the, the fact you've got three people, one of them has to be sitting here controlling the uh, tech. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would prefer some simpler way of doing that because I, I think trying to do that on screen is, is incredibly distracting. Whereas I want to be looking at the road ahead. I don't want to be looking at a screen to work out how to get the mist off the screen. I guess the theory is that, uh, as with most of these things, uh, they get set to one position and left then. <laughs> More than likely, yeah, I think that's probably the case. Um, but, but you mentioned the cup holders. There's plenty of room down front for all the rubbish that you often see in uh, vans of all sort of descriptions. It doesn't have a copy of the sun on the windscreen yet. We'll no, have to work on that. <laughs> it's, it's, it'll, it'll fill up with suns and daily miles, I'm sure. There's not one stereotype being used in this programme. <laughs> not Absolutely not one. <laughs> But it's quite quiet in here. We're not having to shout. We're on country roads, which are a bit bumpy, but it's handling them yeah. very, very well. I mean, I notice that you keep trying to avoid any of the real bumps, but I don't think it's struggling with them at all. No, it isn't. Uh, as force of habit. <laughs> but it is, you know, this is designed to carry a substantial load. Um, but, you know, this is unladen, but it's handling the road very well. I've no reason to think that it wouldn't handle the road just as well with two or three tons in it you know and, and I think looking at it you probably could stack three pallets in here well if you've got three pallets of bricks you know you've got uh, you've got a fair bit of weight on board but uh, for your average builder plumber etc 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 virtually any trade would find this the perfect vehicle and the perfect size vehicle price tag what did we say 56 uh, looking at the magic bit of paper uh, no it's uh, well, this particular one is £53,390 and 83p. Oh, and 83p. <laughs> that might be the difficult bit in the current economic well, That's the bit I'll contribute, how's that? <laughs> <laughs> um, have we got on there uh, the projected range? Well, as always with these things, uh, targeted driving range overall 156 miles or city driving of 244 or more than sufficient. I think if you were doing any more than 156 miles in your delivery van, this wouldn't be appropriate for you, would it? No, it wouldn't, uh, unless you're good at planning where you can top up, and uh, the economics of that top up uh, work out fine for you. But uh, Certainly city driving at 244 miles, if you were a delivery driver, I suspect that you'd be a bit less than that on a daily yeah, route. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, I'm sure they, they've looked at this, and uh, uh, those sort of... Uh, delivery routes for you know any of the parcel delivery companies anybody like that that would be more than adequate there's an awful lot of bigger vehicles on this road <laughs> and I'm very conscious of the width of this one you're getting it about right is it a good drive uh, it is I, I mean I quite like as I say it's, it's maybe a bit odd for me I quite like driving large vehicles because I like that that view of the road and yeah. you know this is this is why people are buying taller and taller vehicles is it because you like Yorkies uh, perhaps, yes, yes. No, not good for my diabetes. <laughs> well, what about the colour? I mean, do you have to pay extra for, if I say I wanted an orange one or a red one with a red rose or something on it? Or, you know, Almost what? certainly, I hope, <laughs> <laughs> to put you off. <laughs> well, I, this one is uh, in grey, and I, I, I think we were saying earlier it was an extra 650 quid. Uh, would you want to do that as a business? Well, if your house colour was, was <laughs> grey, yeah. you might say, oh, 650 quid, or more likely you take it to the uh, sprayer down the road who's going to sign-write it and get it done for half of that. 
that, or, yeah, that, or vinyl. Uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. vinyl wrapped. I mean, that seems an awful lot of money to me, but there you go. Within the context, I suppose, of the price, that's not so bad. But how many of these vehicles are going to be bought outright? Some companies still choose to do it that way. Most, because of the tax advantages, uh, are going to lease them. It is true. I mean, my question would be, how many are they hoping to uh, flog in the next year or so? Will it make such a big difference to our roads? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I was just looking at those statistics this morning and I was very surprised that 21, 22, the uh, van sales had gone up considerably uh, over the previous year or two. So, uh, you know, the signs of a pickup in the van market. Um, a pickup? <laughs> yes. Well, then again, I suppose the previous two years have been um, pretty, uh, pretty awful for most uh, small businesses. So um, it's good to see that they are going up. But I was also going to comment, um, you know, this, this is a, a vehicle you, you're probably going to be living in for quite a large part of your working day. So it is important that A, it's easy and comfortable to drive, but it's also comfortable to sit in. You've found the seats very comfortable as well. I have, and uh, especially if people suffer from a lower back pain, which the majority of people do now, uh, it's, it's great, it's great support. You're, you're more upright, so you you know, you feel a bit more secure, and it's very comfortable. Yeah, it's, it's probably a fact that most building trades certainly suffer from lower back pain, which is usually why they have to get out of the business relatively early. But these, these are very good seats. Very impressed with the driving seat, but and, and sometimes the middle seat is a bit skinny in terms of its padding. Doesn't seem to be, it does seem to be all well and good. Andrew, yeah. you're driving it now. What do you think? Uh, at the moment, I can't get the seat to go back far enough for it to be comfortable f to be keeping down at the 20 mile an hour limit through this village. So I would say that that's possibly gonna be more of an issue than anything else. I've moved it back as far as it will go. And that's, and that's, I mean, it's several clicks back from where you had it. And yes, it, it's straining the back of my leg. And obviously when you're trying to keep at a low speed, it's uh, not exactly ideal that your foot wants to press that uh, thing down too much. We should perhaps explain that this has uh, got the bulkhead in it. Uh, a lot that of the, probably doesn't help. No, indeed, it does restrict slightly the cabin space and the amount of travel you've got. I do like the uh, plastic coat hangers. I mean, it's, it's, it's a well padded bulkhead, which is not all that common um, the smaller ones tend not to have that but it's usually an extra uh, in these there is lots of storage above your um, above your head as well I mean it's a, as a working environment it's pretty well thought out but and as I said earlier if they haven't got it right by now uh, they never will 30 to 40 almost instant <laughs> I'm so impressed and it's yep. very easy to drive, very, very easy to drive. I was, I was concerned coming through that uh, village it was going to be uh, a bit big and tight, but no, that was uh, quite comfy. Big mirrors always helps. Uh, yeah, big mirrors certainly do help. Uh, uh, unfortunately, big mirrors sometimes are easy to knock off uh, if you're not careful, but at the same time, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's very good all-round visibility. Um, no interior mirror, of course. Um, I'm guessing there's possibly some sort of camera system when reversing but we haven't tried that yet. It's going to be interesting to park it back up when we get back. <laughs> we'll find out no doubt. That's Helena's turn. <laughs> no I'm, I'm really impressed with it and um, you know as I say it's a bit of a chameleon and you could use it for all sorts of things um, and the comfort factor is nice and just you know the way it's got all the units here for storing different things is really handy. Uh, again, I'd have to take a while getting used to the screen, but I think all the youngsters now are used to all this modern technology. It's just if you're an older driver, it takes a little while to learn some of that. But I think, you know, at the garage, I'm sure they'd give you a little bit of an induction on how to use it. And as Andrew said, you know, once it's set, you've set it to the temperature and screen and all that, you don't really need to use it that much. And I presume you could turn down the the lighting on it because again it's at night that would be a bit blinding it's glaring isn't yeah, it uh, yeah, I, I, so no I'm doubt there sure is some brightness like reduction on there yeah, is that heated yeah. seats on the far right i think the far right yeah, does the oh yes the there are heated seats which again is great for the winter okay, indeed okay heating up the old dairy air yes
when they were in the uh, NX 450H Plus Lexus uh, hybrid. Um, let's get the numbers established to start with. £62,450. Um, not much dearer actually than the Transit, but a bit more sophisticated than that. Hybrid with a 2.5 litre petrol engine, 124 miles an hour. 0-62 in 6 seconds, or a shade over 6 seconds. I mean, my first thought when I picked up the spec sheet is the fact that it's absolutely crowded. You know, there's so much stuff on here. And then I noticed at the bottom, asterisk, the full of list of contents is available at... <laughs> There's a lot to say about it. There is a lot say, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot on it. What do you think of it so far? You, we've, we've had a couple of miles in it, two or three miles. Uh, very nice, very comfortable, nice place to be. The uh, heated steering wheel I still don't approve of, but uh, it is there should you require it. We have hit the 60 mile an hour on the country lanes quite happily. It's nice and quiet, handles the corners well. What more can you say? We, we did comment that uh, accelerating hard it was slightly more raucous than, than perhaps you might have expected because in all other respects it's a very sophisticated vehicle uh, well yes when you put your foot down on the accelerator the engine does kick in and the engine does rev so I suspect that having got used to the quiet sophistication of the electric you then uh, put your foot down and that's the electric accelerating <laughs> so the the trouble is with any of these things there's too many modes to play with and uh, we've been in electric mode and i'm in ev mode now and there's a different logo that also says ev uh, and if i put it back into hv mode and put my foot down you notice that the revs suddenly leap up to um I don't know, three, four thousand, uh, and it, it sounds uh, not quite so smooth. No, indeed, it's a very, very different uh, sound effect. I mean, you, you were changing modes there. Uh, one of the things that certainly I think is worth commenting on, I, I, probably if you owned this car, you would set it all up exactly the way you want it and never change it. Uh, and, and unfortunately, Andrew and I are both inveterate dabblers with the buttons on cars so the, there's lots to dabble with on this particular car if anything there may be too many too many facilities as, as I refer to on the list there that you can turn on and on or off um, but as I say as an owner I think you would probably just set it up once and that would be it well yeah exactly depending on the kind of driving you do I mean most of these things I mean, once you hit the sports modes and the sports plus modes and everything else you shouldn't really be using them on your everyday daily drive should you i mean it's, it's not something that you you know you've just been to tesco's you've got three or four bags of shopping on the back seat and then suddenly you want to accelerate not to 60 in five seconds that's not the real world is it and, and uh, they have a device i'm sure for cleaning all those smashed eggs <laughs> off the back window well, and there would be some, let's be fair. Although, as I say, it handles the corner as well. So, uh, you know, as long as you keep it smooth, the old Jackie Stewart balancing an egg on the front thing on the bonnet trick, you know, someone can do it. Yeah, I couldn't when I tried it with Jackie. <laughs> you couldn't do it, fair enough. No, I wasn't able to do it. I was under the tutelage of Jackie at the time and I couldn't do it. He managed to do it, but um, he did confide in us all afterwards that, uh, in fact, he rarely drove on the road uh, these days. But he did make sure that his chauffeur could do it. Very wise, very wise. And, and to be fair, you know, if you had this as a chauffeur-driven car, I'm sure you sitting in the back would be just as comfortable. There's no one in the back at the moment, but uh, the, the nice leather seats, I presume, are as comfortable for the back passengers as they are in the front? They are very uh, capacious seats. The front seats are very good. Rather uh, racy in style, made to look like, you know, they're all ventilated leather. Um, and that's a, a, the most impressive thing for me about the interior because I don't like the front panel, I don't like the size of it, and, and the, there are rather too many gadgets, but it is, it is a nice, simple gear shift. Um, but then, you know, you're going to spend most of your time in drive probably anyway. Yes, it, I presume that's not a rattle coming from your side, it's just where you happen to have the spec sheet touching something on the door. It would be most odd if it really was a rattle. It's warm in here though, isn't it? It is. You managed to get this 
I'll, I'll Steer, have a fiddle. Steering wheel off, yeah. No, yeah. no, that's, that's it there, is actually, isn't it? No, having a look at the screen. Again, it's not a button, that'd be far too easy. Yeah. It is a, a, a complaint, uh, certainly of mine, but then it may be age-related that far too many things are on the screen these days and that's very, very distracting. And that's fine if you can uh, plan for these things in advance. You're going to set off on your journey and you set the vehicle up with all the parameters you want, the exact temperature and so on and so on. But life ain't like that. Life tends to get in the way of these things. So uh, I don't like the idea of fumbling on a screen uh, I want I want buttons that I can memorise where they are and turn them on and off as I see fit. Yeah, I mean, with with the head-up display, which uh, obviously is all de rigueur in uh, posher cars these days, it's not just the simple speed and speed limit. It also has something that looks like it's possibly the sort of variable speed motorway cruisy type thing. Uh, but also, when you press buttons on the steering wheel, it goes into more menus. And I'm really not sure that um, you should be fiddling with menus on it, really. You should be looking at the road while you're driving, surely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the most complex thing you would really want to do while driving is perhaps change the CD track. CDs? Yes. <laughs> That's you up to date. <laughs> well, but, you know, the music system, you want control over the radio. Um, but for me, this is just a bit a bit too fiddly. Yeah, I mean, it's all very, very snappy. But, again, you want to be the passenger to fiddle with all these toys rather than the driver, I think. You perhaps want to check with mission control before you turn things on and off. And uh, uh, NASA's Capcom will... Uh, uh, advise you as to the effects of hitting a particular button uh, when you're fumbling around for it in the dark. Now one of the things that uh, we were shown before getting in was the fact that uh, you can't open the door on cyclists. That seemed like quite a nice safety feature. There are quite a long list of safety features. Yes, I liked that idea, the fact that you couldn't suddenly throw a door open and uh, take out a cyclist because as the guy was explaining to us, it's happened to him, it's happened to my daughter. Cyclists have been taken out in that way. I'm tempted to just read out the safety features. Lexus safety system, pre-collision system, dynamic radar cruise control, lane keep assist, lane trace assist, road sign assist, automatic high beam, adaptive high beam, front cross track. No, I'm not going to carry on because I'm only less than a quarter of the way through the list. There's an awful lot of safety features in here. So coming back out of Whitchurch, I believe that is, or am I thinking of somewhere else? I believe that was. That was Whitchurch. Uh, Graham has been at the wheel for a few moments now. Uh, again, your first impressions? Yeah, very, very likeable drive. Um, uh, I like the, the fact that I, I could get comfortable very quickly. Uh, I like to drive a little higher than you do. Uh, I, I told you about smoking, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I like to drive a little, uh, little closer. Uh, than you do. Um, it helps if your feet reach the pedals. Well, exactly so. But you know, a likeable drive. I wouldn't be unhappy with this as a daily driver, but uh, I would want to disconnect an awful lot of the gadgetry. Uh, and I think it's... I think, if anything, it's possibly been a failing of Lexus. You know, I've driven them since they first came on the UK market. Was it about 89, 90, something like that? And even then, they had loads and loads of gadgets on them, uh, many of which were superfluous. Well, it's what the Japanese brands are famous for, though, isn't it? Yeah, there was the old Sony adage, wasn't it? You know, it doesn't matter what they do, just put more knobs on. Yeah, more buttons. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, it is a part of their sort of corporate thinking. Um, having said that, one of the things that does impress me is that, is that extensive list of safety features. Um, there's a lot of stuff there they really have thought through. I'm not aware that anybody else has done that that uh, system where you can't open the doors if there's a cyclist in the mirror, which is is quite an impressive piece of technology. Well, a, if it works, and B, if it saves a few lives, then it's certainly worth doing. And there's a police car forecast in front of us. I wonder why everybody was going so slowly. <laughs> um, no, in, in, impressive technology, but... You know, what are you going to do? You're going to open the door as a cyclist is coming past just to see if it's effective. I'm reminded of a story I read just yesterday of uh, somebody who uh, 
wanted to try and prove Tesla's beta version of their automated driving system was safe by volunteering to put their child in front of it. Um, I can't imagine there'd be that many takers, although even then, uh, I suppose everybody has their price, but um, it was a serious suggestion in America that uh, somebody should do that. And uh, it was New Scientist I read the article in, and they did say at the end of the article, I do remember it's the beta version only. Uh, yes, and it possibly says more about American Tesla drivers than anything else. Uh, indeed so, indeed so. There have been a number of accidents, not least amongst those trying to fill them up at petrol stations. <laughs> Well, we're here at a SMMT day, and we've often mentioned in the past the SMMT. It's just sort of become a throwaway line for us. But we've never really explained who or what the SMMT are or is and what it does. So we're talking to James Bowley. Who, James, what's your, your title? I'm Senior Communications Manager at the SMMT. Right, well, guessing then in that case you know what you're talking about. <laughs> James, so explain, what is, what is it? It's an enormous industry. So the role of the SMMT is to be the voice of the automotive industry. So our membership runs the gamut of vehicle manufacturers, and that's everything from cars, vans, trucks, buses, all, all sort of the latest vehicles, uh, the supply chain that sits around that, the aftermarket that sits around that as well. So we represent kind of the entirety of the UK automotive industry. Have we actually said what SMMT MT stands for? It is the Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders. Which is quite a mouthful, which is why it's called the SMMT. (laughs) It's why we got into the habit of shortening it. But I mean, this is an industry that employs a million or more people with the turnover, based on your latest statistics, of 67 billion sterling a year. It's an enormous industry. That's right. I mean, automotive is probably one of the UK's most important industries. We are the manufacturers of Britain's most valuable trade good, finished vehicles. And then, of course, there's the whole supply chain that sits behind those those things. We also are a crucial part of uh, the UK's trade agenda. Um, British vehicles are are known the worldwide. We have probably one of the most diverse automotive sectors um, in the world. As I said, we make everything from cars, buses, vans, trucks, but also that includes, you know, the sort of small volume manufacturers, the specialist vehicles. So there's a whole gamut uh, that we make and it's well known around the world. And um, our role is to help uh, you know, represent that industry as best we can with government and also to you know, help promote the industry around the world to attract investment and promote um, you know, excellence in the automotive industry. It's not just uh, completed vehicles either. Um, there's an enormous range of vehicles there, but it's, it's also builders of engines, gearboxes, transmissions, whatever, for other vehicles, for manufacturers worldwide. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, we, we obviously are involved in engine production. We'll also be seeing battery manufacturing as well for electric vehicles coming on stream. And as you say, all the different components that go into that, that global supply chain. The UK automotive industry is you know, right at the very heart of that. Presumably, because it's such a big industry, even the slightest little thing really can impact on those big numbers, though. And, and the, the, the state that the world is in, the, the, the little bits that we see elsewhere can really affect this industry. Oh, absolutely, but it's it's also a global challenge. So in in, in the past few years, obviously, we've seen uh, the impact of the pandemic and the, and, the, and the restrictions that have come around that. That isn't just within the UK, that is worldwide. And as you refer to, of course, there are there are issues in terms of supply chain that come from that. Uh, the majority of semiconductor chips, for instance, are made in Asia, where they've also had you know, significant COVID lockdowns, and that's had a huge impact on manufacturing, both in the UK and overseas. So, you know, what happens worldwide affects us in the UK. Um, but we're no different to the rest of the world in that respect. We've had two or three lean years of sales, not not just of cars, but of all vehicles, partly the pandemic, partly other reasons, economic reasons as well. But that came after a period of incredible growth and records being set virtually every year. It looks like there's been a bit of an upturn in the market on the latest statistics, but how temporary is that going to be given the, the economic disaster area we've just stumbled into? At the moment, the, um, the most recent forecasts that we've, we've done, or the most recent outlooks that we've done were in July of this year. And so we're looking that um, probably in terms of new car registrations will be slightly less than we were in 2021, but start to see a recovery in 2023. We are starting to see an easing uh, in terms of things like semiconductor supply. Demand so far has, has remained robust all the way through. There's been a lot of pent-up demand throughout the pandemic, and um, you know we're hoping that will continue. And manufacturers are doing everything they can to, to meet that demand. Really importantly as well, we've seen a huge growth 
growth in the, the percentage of electric vehicles coming onto the market, both in terms of the total model range. About a third of all models available today are now available in electric powertrains. They also make up about one in five new car registrations, and that's been growing steadily over the past three years. But uh, I mean, given that literally in the last few days, just before this recording was made, we've seen the pound in free fall against the dollar, against other currencies, and uh, that surely is going to impact not just upon people's attitudes, but also upon the affordability of vehicles, because a lot of these contract purchases of various sorts and leases of various sorts are going to inevitably become more expensive. Yeah, so there are a lot of challenges ahead. Um, energy costs are another one that also the industry has to, has to face as well. With the particularly in electric cars. Oh, it's also in terms of production. Obviously, you know, um, you know, a vehicle factory is, you know, it uses a lot of energy, but the automotive sector is not classed as an energy-intensive industry, um, so therefore is not eligible for the same relief that other industries have within that that side of things. And we're seeing you know, a phenomenal increase in energy bills. That, that is a big challenge for manufacturers. Um, it's obviously also a challenge for consumers as well. Uh, as you say, it also then is having an impact in terms of electric vehicle charging prices, which can be hugely variable depending on whether you're charging at home or whether you're dependent on the public charging network and that's one area where you know we have concerns about for the future obviously we're seeing a good uptake in electric vehicles at this point in time there is there is a point that probably the majority of these people are people who have access to their own driveway and can fit their own charger about a third of households in the uk don't have their own driveway or their own dedicated parking so they will be dependent on the public charging network and what we really need to see is more investment in that public charging network um, so that it keeps pace with the growth of electric vehicles so that everybody has that opportunity to make that switch and has the opportunity to make that in an affordable way. Affordable is the important thing because of course because if I'm selling my electricity from my nice new plug-in thing or whatever I obviously want to get my return on investment don't I and if the electricity I'm handing over is three times the price it once was the, 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 the sums must be sort of pushing upwards rather than downwards. Uh, so yeah, energy costs are, are rising. Um, currently, you know, operating costs for electric vehicles tend to be below those of uh, conventional vehicles. Obviously, you know, people take a lot of different factors into mind when they purchase a new vehicle. For instance, with electric cars, there are a lot of benefits in terms of if they are company cars, um, there's uh, the benefit in kinds, rate relief. You're obviously exempt from VED as well. Uh, and also, if you're driving in urban areas um, such as London, you're obviously exempt from clean air zone charges as well. So are you able as a representative body of the industry to, if not apply pressure, but at least attempt to persuade government to particular courses of action and, for example, the power suppliers, that they should make a special case for EV? I mean, if the targets as set by the government are that we shall all go over to EV within a fairly short timescale, can you apply pressure? Are you able to talk and, and lean on certain industries to, to, to assist with that? We're in constant contact with government as one of the most important industries in the UK. We have a really important role to play in the economy, so it's really important that our voice is heard in government and we have that constant engagement. This transition to 2030 needs everybody to play their part. It's not just on the automotive sector. Everybody needs to play their role. Everybody's committed to delivering that goal. And so what we need to see is everybody playing that important role in delivering you know, the infrastructure that we need, the affordable long-term supply of low-carbon energy, so you know we're not charging up green cars with brown electricity, and basically making sure that that transition you know, delivers on you know, our shared net-zero goals, but also is accessible for everybody. And are we seeing this assistance from the new government? So we've had the initial uh, announcement from the government in terms of the uh, the energy bills relief for businesses. So that gives us a bit of breathing space for the next six months. What we need to see is that being built on. Um, th- this industry thrives on being able to plan long term. Uh, uh, six months, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> it, it? It gives us the stability over winter. And uh, what we what we need to see is that then followed up with that you know that investment that will then help secure that low carbon energy that we need for the rest of the UK and gives us that opportunity to you know plan even further ahead, make those key investment decisions, and also importantly raise the competitiveness of the UK automotive industry. We are obviously in a global marketplace and there are other manufacturing nations as well that also are attracting investment. It's really important that that investment comes to the UK so we want to make sure that we're seen as you know one of the ideal destinations in which to invest in production and, and so on. It did look like uh, a few years ago when these sort of targets were announced that the industry would struggle to meet them. Now, in fact, I think the industry, from from my own perception, has, has moved heaven and earth to try and meet those targets. 
but one wonders if those targets are now going to be slid by government for economic reasons which are beyond the control of the industry. Well, the industry in the UK alone, the industry has invested in the last 10 years more than 10 billion in electric vehicle or battery production. Uh, to, to be fair, the fact that we're standing in a car park with cars moving around us and there's, there's no engine noise, it suggests most of these cars are electric, certainly moving at 10 miles an hour in a car park. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're, uh, 2020 was probably a bit of a tipping point for electric vehicles. It's when they really kind of came of age and uh, became, in the mind of the general public, you know, a mass market technology. And we're seeing them being rolled out. I mean, obviously, there are regional disparities in terms of where those electric vehicles are going. But um, in a lot of areas now, you're starting to see those green number plates a lot more. And um, interest in electric vehicles tends to increase when they're are you know concerns over fuel prices as well so this is the direction that the industry is going in it's it's a, it's the right thing to do we know that um, you know decarbonisation is crucial so the industry is committed uh, we know global markets are all doing the same so it's great that the UK is able to take a bit of a leading role in this so the consensus view that you're picking up from from the industry generally is a fairly positive one we will meet those targets and there are better times coming but I'm guessing it's going to be a bit lean for the next year or so. Uh, it's going to be challenging for the rest of the year. We're hoping to see an increase in new car registrations for next year. In terms of those targets, the industry has the ability to meet those targets, but it's really important that everybody plays their role. So we need that support in terms of incentivising the consumer to want to make that switch to electric vehicles. You know, We have something like 35 million cars on the roads and about 1% of those, 1.5%, are battery electric or plug-in hybrid. So there is a huge vehicle park transition that needs to take place to deliver on those net zero goals so it's really important that you know the consumers are you know enthused by the vehicles that are available today and can access those vehicles have confidence in the charging infrastructure to keep them running on the move basically everyone wants an electric car to be able to be as easy to keep on the move as you know a petrol or diesel car and with the right infrastructure in place that's possible it's about making those changes and everybody working together to deliver that, that ultimate 2030 goal Well, Graham, we've uh, found ourselves in the Suzuki Vitara, the uh, current one. It's a full hybrid, a 1.5 petrol engine, and uh, yeah, seems to be doing the job quite happily. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very popular family car though, you know, since the introduction of the Vitara in the I think the late 80s, early 90s. It's always had a sort of niche market, and I seem to be noticing more and more of them about lately and they do have a very good reputation and they're also uh, very affordable uh, certainly more affordable than uh, well <laughs> than the transit or the lexus we've been in already uh, and i know the price but i haven't revealed it yet so we're gonna have a bit of a guess of that in a minute i imagine but uh, yeah it's a little bit noisier in here perhaps than uh, the others but this being a, a petrol car it would be i guess uh, yeah, it certainly is, and it's a relatively small engine for the body size of 1.5. And I've just noticed it's actually telling me the wrong speed limit here. That's interesting. Um, because it's a 40 limit, and it's telling me, or the electronics are telling me it's a 50. So uh, luckily, we are below the 40. Maybe confused by the gin factory we're just going past. Uh, these things can get confused easily. I, I suspect that, as with most of these, uh clever gadgets that rely on GPS and everything else. Slightly out-of-date information can be quite misleading. But anyway, uh, other than that, a little bit more road noise. I can certainly hear a few more rattles and things in here than the Lexus, but that's probably not surprising uh, given who this is aimed at. Uh, indeed so. I mean, this is, this is le much less than half the price of the Lexus. And as in all things, you, you pretty much get what you pay for. That's not to say that this is a bad car, because I don't believe it is. For uh, its price, it's a very good car with a particular sort of... It's aimed at a particular market demographic and very much a family car. Helena commented earlier about the back seats being quite high. Uh, well, if the back seats are generally going to be full of kids, that's a good thing, and I think that's probably intentional. Um, and it's got a fair amount of boot space from what we can see. Um, it's, it's, I think, a very good all-round family car. But it's, it's obviously in that SUV bracket that uh, almost every vehicle on the road is these days. Yes. So, uh, yes, it, it, it's up against any number of other things which are possibly slightly more expensive. 
Yeah, indeed. It's it's. Uh, I've used the word affordable a couple of times, I think, already. In that particular market sector, this is towards the bottom end of it. And by that, I don't imply that it's much worse because it, it's actually as good, or in fact, better than one or two of them. But it's certainly uh, very good value for money. And, you know, were, were I a young family with all the young families' wants and needs and, and budget, uh, I would be very happy to own this. And uh, the view from the back seat, uh, suitably comfortable? It's uh, reasonably comfortable. I think the seats are too high, and I think for children you don't want them too high. You want them lower, because then if you're doing an emergency stop, they're not going to be thrown up and over into the front. But I'd hope they might be tied down. <laughs> Well, one of the good things, is nice things, especially in the summer, is, is the double roof. Yes, it's got a very large sunroof, isn't it? And it did seem to uh, almost open fully when we tried it yes. before we moved away. It's really but airy for, uh, you know, a stuffy day so that everybody's getting the full air. But, um, yes, it's, it's not bad. It's, yeah, uh, you're not keen on the black interior? No, I've never liked black interiors because I find that they mark up with grubby hands and leave the marks. You don't see that with, a, you know, the white sort of... Uh, base but it's got a quite a nice soft piece where one actually sits down the middle and it runs up the back so that's good especially in the winter because that keeps you warm <laughs> but um, all in all yes it's quite a nice little car and uh, considering the price and I mean would, would you like to guess the price I mean Graham has said less than half the price of a Lexus which was 60 so. something uh, did you know how much it is Graham I do because I've read it ah in that case then Helena how much would you pay for one of these I guess is the question then well, I'd say probably about twenty-eight, twenty-nine thousand. Oh, you're not a million miles off. Uh, to, to, yeah, exactly. Uh, Twenty-seven and a half is the uh, base price, and then the options: uh, single tone and dual tone colourings. Take it up to twenty-eight. So yeah, very much spot on. Don't forget to keep the car. Yeah, exactly. If only. I mean, it, it seems like you know when, when we're comparing it with other things, a very good deal. This must be one of the most previewed cars of the year, MG4 EV, and it's been very, very popular here today. In fact, we've had to wait quite a while to get in it. First impressions, not of driving, because we're not even out of the drive yet, but we've had a walk around the outside. To have a look at it, it's um, it's, it's, it's very uh, contemporary looking. It's um, uh, some of those things you might like, some perhaps not, but uh, it's very much of its time. Personally, I find it a little bit angular, but uh, there you go. That's that's one man's take on it. I presume it's meant to be competing, in inverted commas, with the VW ID whatevers and uh, the BMW, whatever that was called, the little one. Yeah. Not not the uh, sports one. But, I mean, this, this goes, doesn't it? I mean, crikey. <laughs> well, they've often, they often talk about the uh, uh, accelerative power of uh, EVs, and this is quite remarkable. It does go a bit. It's, yeah, I've, I've hardly touched the accelerator, and uh, it quite happily hit the 50 mile an hour speed limit, and thankfully not the Ford Toyota in front of us doing that speed limit. It's, uh, yeah... I mean, it, it, the interior of this is a lot sparser than some of the others, isn't it? Again, it's uh, back to basics, perhaps. Well, uh, well is, ba is basics it... in a modern sense. <laughs> there are perhaps minimalist. Uh, minimalist. Yes, that's a good way to put it. There are perhaps less buttons, but I suspect that is because there are more things on the screen. But just the screen is not as outrageously large as it won't fill your living room let's put it that way it's it's of a sensible size and the screen the digital screen in front of the driver is is also it's really really tiny perfectly legible but really tiny and we've already commented uh, somewhat derogatorily of the um, steering wheel <laughs> being of uh well it's of a previous generation if you like i seem to remember that steering wheel shape from the 70s with the, the flattened top and bottom yes it's allegro-esque in that sense but yeah i mean from a driving position the yes that the dashboard screen is quite small probably no bigger than a mobile phone these days yeah. no great big dials and things moving around it's got one number in the middle which tells you the speed you're doing it's got another thing above it telling you the speed you are allowed to do 
uh, and the rest of the information is for navigation. The steering wheel, yes, it is a funny shape, but there's a massive space in between, so you can see that dashboard. And that's obviously a problem a lot of dashboards and things with smaller sporty steering wheels. You end up, you know, moving your head to try and see between that gap to see the information. And it, it's all there. I mean, it, it's, uh, there's no need for a bigger screen, really, is there? Well, no, there isn't, because it, it, albeit that it's small, it seems to convey all the essential driving information you need most of the time without being distracting. And some of the uh, whiz-bang screens with lo loads of buttons and loads of messages and so on and so on and so on are just incredibly distracting. Yeah. I mean, for, also, from this driving position, I appreciate that I'm of a reasonable height, but because the, that screen is appearing to be stuck on to the front rather than built into the dashboard it appears that they've been able to lower everything else as well yeah. so you're actually seeing i mean this, the, the windscreen is really quite tall yeah. but it goes down quite low so i would imagine you're getting good visibility to be able to sort of park and things much more easily than uh, I mean, a lot it, of cars with very small sort of not very tall windows these days it, it is very noticeable that, uh, particularly at the front, uh, whether that's a function of the aerodynamics or, or just the packaging or whatever, but the bonnet line is very, very low. The dashboard, as you say, the fascia is very low. So your view of the road is actually very good. Mm. Perhaps seat, a bit less so at the rear. The seats are set and quite low as well. So somebody who's quite tall, because of the roof, how it graduates up and gets higher, it's, you know, usually, you know, tall people have trouble with that, but I think this is fine. And the back seats are uh, wonderful. They've got um, your normal pocket for putting in your newspapers, magazines, but then on the top part, you've got two more small pockets which are divided. So if children are in there, you've got coloured pencils and all the little knickknacks in the other. The only bad thing I think about is there's not no handle to hang on to, because when you're in a fast car and matey is off, you know, you're, you're hanging on to this thing and there's nothing to hold on to, so I find that a little bit of a worry there, on there, pens and things. There are no handles in either front or back. Yes, um, they, they've really uh, gone to town on the interior. I, for me, this suggests that we've maybe we're finally moving away from the old feel of MG. This is almost like a new car and a new car company that may have its antecedents a long way in the past but has now departed completely from that history. Uh, and this is a entirely new thinking. There's, there's no carryovers from any of the previous MGs. Uh, and they've done very well, and I think this is going to do better because of that. It's certainly pleasant to drive. I mean, one thing that uh, I immediately notice is the fact that uh, you can get away with that one pedal um, accelerating and braking. Stop to traffic lights just then, just by taking your foot off the accelerator. It's uh, would certainly make for very comfortable city driving, I think. Yep, yeah, that's certainly what it's aimed to do, but uh, with it, the performance it seems to have, that would seem as though this is quite capable of, and the space it's got inside it, of doing quite long distances in a sort of family context. It, it's, it doesn't feel like it's a car that would be tiring to live with. I mean, the colour might be, but... <laughs> Yes, it is bright, absolutely bright orange, but there you go. I suppose um, if you're going to wear high-vis, you might as well wear high-vis all over. I feel there's a McLaren somewhere that's lost its paintwork. <laughs> Papaya, they yeah, call so it. Not, not that that's a bad thing. <laughs> but no, it, it's, again, like a lot of these things, it's actually quite hard to keep at or below the speed limit. And uh, you, you can quite easily, I think, drift above the 30 mile an hour because just all of that torque is there, isn't it? On this slightly faster bit of road now, it's really, really quiet in here. It is, isn't it? It's, it's, it's very, very uh, hushed. It's a worrying that a car can go this fast, but it's electric. You can't hear it on the outside, so there's a child crossing a bend and doesn't hear it coming, and this car, this car is very fast, then it's going to cause a lot of accidents, so we need to soon, very quickly, start getting some you know inventions of getting a no to make a noise so that people can hear the car coming yeah the, the, the world's car manufacturers uh, by god they've had time to do it by now uh, to come up with some system uh, some alert system that creates some sort of recognizable noise certainly in certain traffic situations perhaps on motorways that would be a, a, a bit annoying but 
uh, in towns that there should be some warnings and I've seen near misses we've probably all had near misses of uh, sometimes less than careful taxi drivers uh, curse of the priests uh, well uh, <laughs> uh, yeah indeed are in um, supermarket car parks in silent vehicles it's very dangerous perhaps that's where the uh, bright colour does come in I mean uh, we have already commented on uh, was it the Nissan that was being parked in the car park earlier yeah. and I said it was making a funny noise as it was reversing I mean it, it's, it's not exactly difficult to make a car make a noise it's just a question of making the car make a noise that's a not annoying to the occupants and b is actually identifiable as a noise of a car really i'd have thought but there does need to be an international agreement on it and well, you know that that can't be that hard to to organize surely this is uh, i don't know whether this is standard this is horrible drooping the, cables out of the center console what do you think of the suspension Nice. It's good. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's. You went over quite a few holes there. Yeah, yeah. I think we're approaching the uh, the specific uh, bad road thing just to uh, try it. Uh, or if we've been past it already and I've not noticed, that'd be a bit annoying. It, is, it does seem very well damped, though. It's it's. That's very sporty. Very very nice, actually. Yeah, handles the corners beautifully. And again, I haven't touched the brakes at all. And I think that might be slightly unnerving, but again, there's so much regenerative braking. See, I haven't, I haven't touched the brakes, and we are approaching a junction. Yeah, speed's reducing now. I mean, having driven the MG5, the uh, electric estate, and been sort of very impressed by that, it, uh, the, the fact that this one's another one, at a similar kind of price, I mean, we haven't got the spec sheet in the car, typically, but I think that this one was starting 26, 27 grand or something as well. So again, it's, it's gonna be five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten grand cheaper than almost anything it's competing with. And I mean, obviously we've only been driving it for a short time. And it's, to be fair, the, the acceleration is the thing that impresses me as much as anything else. But I'm sure it'd be lovely to live with one way or another. And uh, yeah, well, certainly good value. That's what we'll put it down to, all electric, Good value, certainly MG's future looks bright, just like the paintwork. The latest offering from Jeep, that all-American brand, which of course is now part of the uh, giant Stellantis conglomerate. And one sort of questions whether it's lost any of its brand identity by being swallowed up within that giant company which is Fiat and Alfa Romeo and it's hard to remember who else there's so many Peugeot, companies. Vauxhall. <laughs> Peugeot, Vauxhall, just about everybody else. So is it still really a Jeep? Well yes I guess it is in good ways and bad ways uh, it appears to be a good off-roader that doesn't seem to be plenty of articulation wheel travel available to you it certainly appears to be very sturdy uh, at the same time, it has some of the worst excesses of American design, I, I think. Uh, these things are not, not the American design you like. <laughs> no, these things are very personal, I know, but uh, I, f I find it slightly garish interior, but perhaps a little bit too much chrome. But then we're used to something slightly different to that. But driving, uh, we've just uh, swapped seats and uh, so you're getting my driving impressions having just driven it for a number of miles and uh, I'd, I'd quite like the drive but it is it almost inevitably big chunky tires will make the steering slightly more difficult and I found the steering slightly twitchy um, it's one of those things I'm sure you're going to get used to uh, there's plenty of power hybrid 4x4 the full 4x4 is switchable so presumably it's an electronic one uh, between rock sand stroke mud doesn't include quicksand uh, snow auto and sport and we did uh, have a little play with it in sport it is appreciably faster a bit noisier certainly um, but uh, yeah it's a big powerful vehicle you get a high wide ride pretty comfortable in the back very very comfortable again it's that sleep factor you can fall asleep and you don't even know you're in a car it's that's amazing wonderful 
<laughs> but of course, well, there you go. <laughs> of course, a word of caution here, you can only do that in the back of this car. It's considered unwise to do it in the front. In fact, I'm surprised there isn't a notice to that effect. I am reminded of the uh, American lady that bought a giant uh, camper and set the cruise control and then went in the back to make a cup of tea. Um, she successfully sued the camper company because they hadn't warned her that you couldn't do such a thing. But there you go. And that's a, a story that I'm sure will be edited out. <laughs> but <laughs> it's a true story. It's hard to see actually where it's quite where its place is in the marketplace. It's very well equipped, it's got everything on it that you would reasonably expect. And uh, as Andrew just discovered, you can turn the screen off, which is such a delight, because the information panel directly in front of you is fairly sparse, but it's got the information you need. What's your impression of driving it? It's fine. I mean, it's, it's yes, it's quite a big car, it doesn't feel particularly huge though. I mean, the steering which you've been complaining about for the last quarter of an hour, I can't see a problem with it. I think that you might have been getting a bit paranoid about something there, but (laughs) perhaps I'm more used to big chunky tyres on uh, old Land Rovers, but uh, quite a lot of road noise perhaps, I would suggest. It sort of seems quite harsh. Would that be unfair? Well, I think there's there's probably tyre noise rather than rather than road noise if you see what I mean uh, it, 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 there's, there's not much noise within the body but the tyres do seem to be quite noisy yeah yeah. as we're moving I guess we're not going fast enough for all the air and things because we're only doing 40 along a country road rather than sitting on a motorway but uh, no I, I find it quite nice and comfortable I mean I, I think that this is the model that I took on the off road proper stuff at Millbrook and uh, as with most of these vehicles, it doesn't struggle to do that kind of thing either. I mean, if you've got whopping great big clever four-wheel drive systems in cars, which presumably you are paying a little bit for one way or another, it does what it's meant to do. And uh, the, the different modes, I guess presumably the theory is you can't go far wrong. Uh, no, indeed one feature that's just caught my eye uh which I, I think I remember commenting on the first Jeep that I drove in many, many years ago when they first came on the market. It's one of the very few vehicles that has a compass. Uh, it used to have a real swinging compass. Now it has a digitised compass top left of the uh, of the uh, driver control centre. But uh, I we guess if you... have got a dashboard anymore. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah. If you're far enough off-road, I guess that matters. I think if you're that far off-road around here, you're in trouble, but yeah. You're much more used to driving big 4x4s than I. It's not for me. Something I can't quite get to love about the way it handles and the steering and so on. Um, I don't think most of these cars handle like big cars anymore. They just handle like cars. I mean, because you're you're so far removed by all the power steering and, you know, all, all the suspension has got so good, really, let's be fair... It, uh, you're not driving it thinking, oh crikey, it's going to tip over or I'd better not go round that corner at the same speed that I'd go round it in another car because, you know, there's nothing actually stopping you. No, in, indeed, I, I, I think there's... I'd, I'd need to check and I, I don't know whether it's perhaps that it's electric power steering rather than a hydraulic system, but it doesn't seem to be... It doesn't seem to be seamless, was the sensation that I got. In fact, I'm sure I detected a little bit of torque steer at one stage when I kicked the throttle quite hard, which I haven't experienced that for a number of years. Anyway, I think uh, the opinion is divided. Uh, Andrew likes it rather more than I do. Um, That's not surprising. (laughs) Each each their own. It's uh, nearing four o'clock now, and uh, Graham Helena are ready to dash the million miles back home along the motorways uh, so a, a quick summing up of our day uh, did we have fun well yeah i think we've all uh, had fun we've driven uh, an enormous range of vehicles the battery transit which has just appeared the fully electric transit which was a very interesting vehicle the mg we particularly liked i think the new mg Certainly nippy 
It certainly is. The Suzuki Vitara. We've driven quite a lot of cars. Well, yeah, exactly. And uh, Helena has had a nap in the back of several. Yes, all nice I, and comfy? I, I was doing the sleep test, and uh, if I have a nice comfy sleep, then that's a good sign of a nice smooth car. Lovely to come to, you know, the sort of beautiful sort of environment of the um, countryside of Hampshire and spend the day, you know, driving all these new cars. Unless you really are driving these things every day, the novelty still is there for an electric car with the acceleration that they do have. And then to get back in a diesel one to drive home for me and a a petrol one for you, Mm. possibly isn't quite the same. (laughs) It's been interesting over a number of years of doing this to see the technology filter down from very, very top flight cars to... You know, really quite basic cars, and perhaps I'm maligning the MG by calling it basic because it no longer is. But nevertheless, for a very, very affordable car, what was it, 26, 27 grand? That's the starting. That's got an awful lot of technology built in, but in a fairly discreet way. Whereas uh, one or two of the others have gone for the, you know, knobs and whistles uh, sort of route of everything on display all at one go, and you've got to sit there and turn half of it off before you can drive everything. You know when you're buying a 60 grand car because it's got a lot of buttons? Uh, indeed, but you know, it's, 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 uh, I don't think the value for money is in that, but certainly the, the more expensive cars still handle better, ride better, perform better, and so on. And you still get pretty much what you pay for, but some things, and, and I'll go back to the MG again for a minute, some things just are better value for money than others. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.